Is it okay to hate God? Have you ever felt so angry at times with things you've been going through in your life that you were actually tempted to hate God? I wonder if Abraham, as he walked up that mountain to sacrifice his son, as God so gently reminded him, you're only one, the one whom you love, to offer him as a holocaust to God. I wonder if he was tempted at that moment to hate God. I can tell you one thing for sure. He definitely was not indifferent to the reality of God. It's hard to be indifferent to a God who's asking you to make the sacrifice of your own son to him. There's one, uh, so I want to talk about what place does hatred have in a relationship? There's one comedian who once said, if you ain't never contemplated murder, you ain't never been in love, especially in marriage. There's an idea that in order to pass from belief in the mind to faith in the heart, from going from ideas about God theologically to a living relationship with Him in our life, it's necessary at times to pass through the emotions even of hatred. It's like that there has to be a conflict. They called it unavoidable divine intrusion. Something that happens in our life that takes God from the parentheses, from something that happens on Sundays that I go to worship in, that's something I can't get away from, like a tree that falls in front of a road that you can't get around. You now have to contend with that reality. That's in a divine intrusion. And they said that the, the great temptation of life is that we would just compartmentalize God. Putting, putting him on a Sunday, putting him just in the places where I go to pray at certain times of the day. But when we're suffering, when we're experiencing certain crosses in life, those don't come and go. And we don't get to choose those. And so we have to contend with that. Suddenly, God is no longer something that's outside of our life. When we're suffering the crosses we experience in life, we're forced to contend with the reality of who God is in light of the pain that I'm going through. And that often brings out emotions of anger, of hatred, of sadness, of pain. But what it does is it makes God very real. No one is indifferent in places of suffering. It either draws us closer to God or farther away from Him. And this is exemplified very well in a book by Graham Greene called The End of the Affair. And it's about a man and a woman, Bendrix and Sarah, who are having an extramarital, extramarital affair, very much in love with one another, and they, they're both seemingly agnostic. They believe that God's up there somewhere. They have ideas about God, but he has no place in their life and in the world. But at one point, Sarah breaks up with Bendrix. She just stops seeing him. And she points it because of a, a divine intrusion. There was a miracle that took place in her life, that for love of him, she had to stop seeing him altogether. And then all the pain and the anguish and the anger that came out of them not being able to see one another suddenly gave rise to this dialogue with God about who he really is and if he exists. Like, what kind of God are you if you would take from me the only person in this world that I ever loved? 
So Bendrix, his opening words of the book, in reference to God, he says, this is a record of hate far more than a record of love. And Sarah writes in her journal, so I am beginning to believe in you, God. And if I believe in you, I know I shall surely hate you because you've taken from me the one thing I ever loved in this life. And the whole book is the record of their hatred for God because of this divine intrusion, because of what they've lost, then slowly opens up to a dialogue with him and the possibility of an authentic relationship. So their hatred for God moves him from an idea in their mind to a reality in their heart that they're forced to contend with. Because hatred can only can exist where there is a relationship. It's like you can't hate someone you don't really believe in. You can be indifferent to them. You can live your life as if it's not really important whether they're there or not. But the opposite of love is not hatred. It's what? Indifference. That's why you know if, if you ever have an ex in your life who hates you, it's actually kind of a good sign, right? It means they actually still care about you. It meant enough for them to carry those emotions. And the first sign that you're actually over somebody is not that you, you're angry at them. It's just you stop thinking about them. They're no longer a part of your mind, your life. And that's why Christ, I think, that's why he says, I'd rather that you were hot or cold, but since you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. I wish you loved me or you hated me, but since you live your life as if it doesn't even matter if I'm there or not, then there's no real relationship. We can't, we can't have anything to do with each other. And that was the problem of the Pharisees that Christ had to contend with. All their knowledge was of God was in their mind, just in the law. And yet when God himself comes before them to dialogue with them, they wanted nothing to do with him. They weren't willing to enter into the drama of the heart with the Lord because all of their, all of their relationality was just in the head. So Sarah says in this book at one point about Bendrix, she goes, I thought sometimes I hated him, but would I have hated him if I hadn't already loved him too? Oh God, if I could really hate you, what would that mean? The true love occurs when hatred of the beloved is a possibility. If you haven't read Graham Greene's End of the Affair, maybe you've seen Forrest Gump, at least. One of the great stories in Forrest Gump is Lieutenant Dan, and he's another great example of that. Lieutenant Dan always had the hope and the dream of dying in war, right? A war hero. And he ends up being saved last minute by Forrest Gump. And because of that, he has to live his life as a cripple, handicapped, drunk, and a nobody. And because of that, he hates his life, he hates Forrest Gump, and he hates God. And he's always challenging Forrest Gump about, you know, where is your God? Where is this God that you believe in? You know, he, he's left us. So he has nothing to do with this world. And one of the most beautiful scenes of that film is when him and Forrest are in, on the shrimp boat in the midst of the storm. And he's on, on top of the mass and he's just screaming at God in the midst of all the waves and the rain going all around. And he says, this is a showdown. It's between you and me. You're not going to sink this ship. And he's just cursing up a storm. He's letting out all this anger and passion against God. 
And the next day, the whole sea is at peace. And you see him, first he turns to Gump. For the first time, he thanks him for saving his life. And then he jumps into the water and just begins to wade. And Forrest Gump says, he never actually said so. But I think Lieutenant Dan finally made his peace with God. So his hatred for God and his expressing that in all his emotions actually became, became the passage into a much deeper relationship with him. And that's why the Psalms are so full of that passionate language. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Where are you? My enemies triumph over me. Shows that it's a, it's a real relationship. And real relationships necessitate all the emotions of the human heart. I think that's one reason why God allows suffering in our lives. Because it's in our very wrestling with Him, our wrestling with our crosses, that our relationship with Him is formed. And I don't think any of us like to admit it, but few things are more powerful to draw us into relationship with God, to have Him as a reality in our life, than the crosses that we face. That's what moves our relationship with Him from the head to the heart, from belief in the mind to a living faith. Those are the divine intrusions that make avoiding the question of God and His presence in my life unavoidable. I have to contend with who this God is when I'm suffering. I walked into the chapel when I was in seminary once, and I found this huge guy, like 250 pounds. You know, would have been a Viking back in the day. And he was in the back of the church crying, back of this chapel by himself. And I walked up and we started talking for a moment. He said to me, and talked about how difficult his, his life has been ever since he said yes to God's call for him to be a priest, how he lost everything he ever thought his life would be or wanted it to be. And he said to me, I've never hated God so much since he called me to be a priest. And yet I've never felt so close to him in my entire life. Often those two realities go hand in hand. Because it's a real relationship at that point. And I told you once, uh, I think years ago, about that woman who came to me. She had all these problems in her marriage. And she said uh, because she had so many difficulties in her relationship with her husband, she was constantly praying, constantly going, doing the rosary, going to adoration, going to prayer groups, seeking help in the midst of this bad relationship with her husband. And she said, and finally, when it just got too much, I left him. And all the pain went away. And I asked her, well, what happened to your relationship with God? And she stopped and she looked at me as if it was the first time she really thought about that. And she said, well, I guess that went away too. Few things are more powerful to move us into relationship with God than the crosses we face in life. And sometimes when we push away the very things that are causing us to suffer, that's when we push away God himself. We get to have peace. We get to have security in a false sense. But we no longer get to the authentic relationship with who God comes to be in our life. So a question we can ask ourselves is what I have suffered in my life 
or what I'm suffering now, because that's what Lent is all about, entering into the cross. Is the cross I'm facing in my life or have faced in my life, is it bringing me closer to God into a deeper dialogue with Him? Or is it hardening my heart against Him and pushing me away? Because nobody can be indifferent in a place of suffering. Our crosses will either harden our heart against God, just like the sun when it shines upon mud, or that it will soften us into a new level of surrender and intimacy with Him, just like candle wax under a flame. So am I allowing my cross to be a passage into a deeper relationship with Him? Or is my heart hardening away from Him? The essence of our faith is not what we sacrifice for God, it's what God sacrifices for us. It's not what we give to Him, but in essence, it's what God gives to us. Abraham didn't make the offering. God offered the Lamb. And that's why in the Gospel, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, climbs up the mountain and the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son who I sacrifice for you. And He stays in that sacrifice. In every single Mass we come to, we stay in the sacrifice of the Father who offers His Son. This is my body given up for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And when did Christ say those words? When did He offer us the new covenant upon which our very worship is based? The moment of His passion. At the very heart of His cross and His suffering. And maybe He did that because He understands that our life is primarily a struggle with our own crosses, with our own sufferings, with our own pain. And when we can see God offering Himself to us in the very place of His greatest suffering on earth, and we come to worship Him right there every week, maybe that's the inspiration we need to offer Him the place of our relationship in right there in our greatest suffering, in the cross we too experience in life. And that's where our relationship with Jesus Christ in our heart, active and alive, can actually take place. <laughs>